Good day, everyone. This is Matt with another Overflow podcast on Psalm 23, Living in the Goodness of God series. Life is a mixture of good times and bad times, ups and downs, highs and lows, mountains and valleys. And the next two podcasts are all about the lows, the valleys. Even in our darkest days in the valley, God says, I'm there. I'm there for you. Psalm 23, 1 to 4 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right path for his name's sake. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now, before I even begin to have to start with the disclaimer that Psalm 23 is not for everyone. Not everyone on the planet is in a personal relationship with God. And the psalm starts with the Lord is my shepherd. That's the precondition for everything that follows. And if you do not acknowledge that Jesus is in control and he's your shepherd and that he gave his life for his sheep, his people, then the promises that follow do not apply. But if you have turned to him and asked for forgiveness for your sins and trust him to be that shepherd, that savior, your Lord, then you can trust in his promises, especially when we go through the rough valleys of life. And believe it or not, we are in the valleys more than anywhere else. Now, did you know there's actually a canyon in Israel called the Valley of the Shadow of Death? And I'm sure David went through that many a times before he wrote this. And some of these canyons were very narrow at the bottom and could be, say, 800 feet deep or tall. And when you're looking up on either side, the only time that you get to see the sun is actually at noon when the sun is directly overhead. So it could be like two in the afternoon and it could feel like nighttime and you don't see the sun because the walls are so tall and the canyon is so narrow. The sun only shines when it's right overhead. It would be in shadows most of the day. Now, I live off of Valley Drive. (laughs) I have a small glimpse of being in a valley on a daily basis because our cell phone reception, it's terrible. We have no cell service in the valley. You don't get it. And it's about the only annoying thing about where I live, and it bothers me on almost a daily basis. Now, valleys in life, however, can be much worse than just not receiving cell phone reception. Valleys are tough places to be. But God is not only there in the valley with us, he is the Lord of the valley. About 2,900 years ago, there was a king in Israel. His name was Ahab. And the Syrian army decided that they were going to depose Ahab. And so the king of Syria lined up 32 nations to come against Israel. And God miraculously gave Israel a victory and soundly defeated the king of Syria and his 32 allies. The following year, the Syrians decided they were going to try it again, and they were going to come back and try to take over Israel. But in reviewing the previous battle a year earlier, the Syrian generals, they came up with a different plan. First Kings 20, 23. The Syrian military advisors went to their king and explained, Israel's gods are gods of the hills. And last time we fought them, you know, that was a year ago, we fought them in the hills. That's why they defeated us. <laughs> I guess they had to come up with an excuse. <laughs> Verse continues, but if we fight them in the valleys where they're weak, we will defeat them there. Now, I don't know what they were smoking to think that it's going to be any different, but they changed plans, made a few other strategic things that instead of fighting the Israelites up in the hills, they're going to fight them on the flat ground where they outnumber them. 
because their rationale, their God protects them in the hills, but we'll beat them in the valley. Oh, boy. First Kings twenty twenty seven says the Syrian forces covered the whole countryside, but the Israelites looked like two little flocks of goats. Talk about being imbalanced. There's maybe 100,000 troops coming against Israel, and Israel's got like 7,000. So they figured, hey, we're going to win this thing. It's going to be a slaughter. But that's not the end of the story. God has something to say about this inevitable defeat. 1 Kings 20, 28 says, Because the Syrians think that I am only the God of the hills and not that I am the God of the valleys, I'm going to give you the victory over this huge army so everyone will know that I am the Lord. Wow. God's a little upset here. He's like, I'm not just a God of the mountaintop experiences. I'm the God of the valleys too. I'm not just a God of the good times in your life, but I'm also there when things aren't going so smooth. I'm the God of the valleys too. See, the valley in scripture literally means valley, but it's also a metaphor for difficult times. And the valley, the Bible talks about the valley of troubles. That's acorn. The Bible talks about the valley of weeping. There's all kinds of metaphors. Valleys are a symbol of difficult times in your life in the Bible. So God says, look, I'm not just God of the good times, but I'm also the God of the bad times. In the times of darkness, the times of despair, the times of defeat, the times of discouragement. Because the truth is, most of your life and my life are not lived on the mountaintops. See, when you're in the mountaintop experience, the view is great. They give you a great view and you see the majestic part of life and everything is coming up great. But most of the time you're not in that view. And we're in the valley. Now, look at your life. What kind of valley are you going through right now? Could be a financial valley. You could be in a really tight spot. Maybe you're in a relational valley where your relationships have gone to rot. Maybe you're in a physical illness type of valley or a disease or a sickness. Whatever kind of valley you're going through, you're going to need to hear the next two pods because it's very important to understand that because most of life is faced dealing with tough times. So let's first talk about what do you know about valleys? Well, first off, they're part of life. They're inevitable. It's normal. You can't avoid them. They're just going to happen. You can count on it. You either just came out of a valley or you're about to be in the middle of one or you're headed into one. That's really what life is all about. Those short mountaintop experiences are like vacation. And then the rest of your life is spent there. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. You're going to go through valleys in your life. The only question is not if you're going through it, but when. You're going to experience disappointment. You're going to experience defeat, distractions, disturbances, despair, depression. It's normal. Don't think that your life is, oh, why is it always me? No. Everybody goes through these things. Valleys are a part of life. God's plan for your life actually contains both hills and valleys. They're part of it. Look at this in Deuteronomy 11.11. The promised land, God says to those we're about to enter. The promised land you're about to enter is a land of hills and valleys. What does that mean metaphorically? It means that, you know, even, even when you're in the center of God's will, the bad times, the valleys are part of the plan. You'll be in the promised land, but it's not all the mountaintops. You're going to go through valleys in life. It's God's plan. 
First Peter 4.12 says, Don't be surprised when you are tested by troubles or painful suffering, as if something unusual is happening to you. It's a part of life. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Why me? Well, why not me? You're alive, aren't you? You're going to have problems. It's not because you're a bad human. It's because you are a human. That's what we go through. Even the promised land has hills and valleys, so don't be surprised when something unusual happens to you. Second thing we know about valleys is it happens to everyone. We can't avoid it. They're just a part of life. They're inevitable, but they're impartial. Good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. It's the way it is. Psalm 34, 19. The good man does not escape all troubles. He has them too. But the Lord helps him in each and every one. A lot of people, they go, I got problems in my life. God's punishing me. No, no, no. God's not punishing you. It's just being a part of the human race. You're in a world that is broken and fallen and completely messed up. So we have problems. Nobody's immune. Nobody's insulated from pain. Nobody is isolated from sorrow. We go through life with problems. We don't sail through it problem free. Isn't that news to you? Bad things happen in your life. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus does not exempt you from that. Jesus says in Matthew 5.45, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Everybody goes through the exact same things in life. Not only are valleys inevitable and impartial, but third, they're unpredictable. And that's what part makes them a problem. You can't predict them. You can't plan them. You can't time them. You know, they typically catch you off guard and they come unexpectedly and at the worst time, when you don't have time, when you're unprepared, when it's inconvenient, that's when the valleys show up. Wouldn't it be easier if you could just schedule all your valleys in life? I'm caught up on sleep. My health is good. All right. Nobody's bugging me. Let's do this. I'll take on those problems now, Lord. I can do it. No, they're inevitable, impartial, and unpredictable. Have you ever noticed how quickly a bad, a good day can become a bad day? One phone call. Disasters come quick. Tragedy, accidents happen faster than you can blink. And none of us know what's going to happen this evening, much less tomorrow or the next day or whatever days after that. In any instant, everything can change. You can have everything. And somebody makes a decision at your workplace and all of a sudden, your life's turned upside down. Corporate made a decision and you're laid off. Proverbs 27.1 says, don't ever brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring forth. So problems are inevitable. Valleys are impartial and unpredictable. Now I want to go a little bit deeper before we look at the solution and prepare you Even though they're unpredictable, there are some valleys I can guarantee that you're going to go through in life because they're in the Bible. The Bible's filled with them. Now, I'm just going to pick out four that we're going to look at. And if you study the Bible, you're going to be aware, then you'll be prepared for the inevitable valleys that can come into your life. So do you know what's going to happen to you next year? No. Can you guess what probably will happen to you during your lifetime? Yes. Because they're predictable in the sense that we know what to expect. So let's give you a couple valleys. Four different significant ones in the Bible. So number one, the Valley of Siddim. The Valley of Siddim is actually in Genesis 14 and it's about a war story. So if you like war stories, it's kind of like, have you ever watched Lord of the Rings 
I can't believe it's already been 20 years old. I was like, wow. I remember when it was coming out. I guess I'm getting old now. And I, I love reading this book and then watching the movie. It was, it was neat. It was a lot of wars and and there's this one big battle called the Battle of the Five Armies. It's big. It's epic. There's five armies that are battling. But the battle in Genesis 14 is bigger. It's between nine armies. So it's the Battle of Nine Armies. I wonder if uh, Tolkien like took it from that. I don't know. So here's the story. There are four enemy nations outside of Palestine, and they're going to try to overtake this even before Israel becomes a nation. So four enemies outside are going to try to take over the five tribes inside. So five armies fighting for their life and their freedom against the four armies coming in from the outside who are bigger. And the story goes like this. Then the four kings of Shinar, by the way, Shinar is now called Babylon. It wasn't called that back in the day. Uh, so the king of Babylon, the king of Elsar, Elam, and Goyom, and these four kings, went to war against the five kings of Sodom. You've heard of that name, Sodom and Gomorrah, you've heard of that one, and three other cities. And the five kings joined forces in the Valley of Sinem, which is now the Dead Sea. They got wiped out, remember? Fire and brimstone came down and wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's now called the Dead Sea. So the five kings joined there in the Valley of Sinem, which is now the Dead Sea, and for 12 years... They've been oppressed by other kingdoms. So in the 13th year, they rebelled. But in the 14th year, their oppressor recruited his allies to team up and reconquer the land. So they, after being oppressed for 12 years, said, we're not going to pay any more taxes. Forget you guys. So the four armies are fighting against the five armies. So the nine armies fought in the Valley of Sidon. So what happens in the next verse, why it's important to us, is in verse 10. It says this. So Genesis 14, 10. Now this valley was full of sticky tar pits. When the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah tried to run away from the battle, they slipped and they fell and got stuck in the pits. <laughs> Can you just picture that? So two kings of these cities are stuck in the pits. So the invaders plundered the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and they took everything they had. They also captured Abraham's nephew, Lot, who was living in Sodom. Now, I'm not going to go into the story, but Abraham later goes back and he goes to war against these guys. He frees his nephew Lot, gets the cities all their loot back. But the point we're looking at is that it says they slipped and fell into the tar pits. Talk about embarrassing. Now, what are they talking about here? There's, there's a kind of bitumen in the area and they got stuck. Now, here's a word you probably don't know in your daily life. Bitumen is a black, viscous mixture of of hydrocarbons obtained naturally or as a residue from petroleum distillation. Okay, you're like, what? Okay, it's asphalt. How about that? <laughs> you ever see like asphalt being paved in that black goopy stuff that goes on the ground before it solidifies that it's a tarry mixture. It's used for road surfacing and roofing. That's kind of like what it's talking about there. Just a big fancy word. So this valley is full of this like black viscous mixture of hydrocarbons. Okay. And asphalt that hasn't become solid. And so they're running through this valley of Sidon. And they're running away and they slip and they fall and they get stuck. <laughs> Has that process ever happened to you in life when you run away from something, made a responsibility, and then you slip and you fall and you get stuck? This valley is a slimy, dark pit area where you stumble and fall. Siddim, if I want to say as a metaphor, is the value of valley of failure, 
where you slip, fall, and you get stuck. You're going to go through this in your life. You're going to have failures in your life. You're going to have failures where you run from responsibility, where you try to get away from it, and then you slip, you fall, and you get stuck. So what's your sitem today? What are you running from? You know you need to face it, that conflict, that confrontation. What's your dark, slimy pit where you mess up? Some people, it might be a bar. For some people, it might be a nightclub. For some people, it might be a hotel room when they're traveling. Sodom and Gomorrah weren't exactly family-friendly cities. They were known as sin cities. It doesn't matter where you've gotten stuck or how you've gotten stuck or what pit you're in. Jesus can get you out. He can get you out of the pit. And you may feel like when you're stuck or you're saying, I'm addicted, I'm in prison, I can't stop messing up. I can't break free from this relationship. I can't break free from this addiction. I can't break free from this habit. I'm stuck. I've been running. I slip and I fall and I can't get away. Cinema is the place in your life you like to forget. It could be a public failure. Can you imagine how embarrassing it is to be a king and you're secretly running from the battle and while you're secretly running, now you're stuck in a pit of tar that's embarrassing. The Valley of Sidon is your place of your greatest failure, of an embarrassment where you look foolish and everybody sees you fall and they're all laughing and they're all ridiculing. And that's one of the valleys you'll probably go through in life because we all fall on our face at some point. I know I did. I remember in high school, we graduated high school and I got a motorcycle over that first summer. And being the smart Alex show off that I was, I like to do wheelies on my motorcycle. And I was in a parking lot and I was doing a wheelie and there was all the cool kids from my graduating class were hanging out and we're about to go to another party. And I start taking off on my bike and doing a wheelie and everyone's cheering. And then I hit one of those parking things that you pull your car up to, you know, they're only about five, four inches high. I hit that and I'm not going very fast and I literally just fall over. So embarrassed. And everybody starts laughing and then I get up and I kick my bike like it's the bike's fault. And then I just do a wheelie and get out of there as fast as humanly possible. And I don't hang out with anybody that night because I was too embarrassed. We all will go through a time in our life of embarrassment and failure. That's on the valley. Let me talk to you about another kind of valley. It's called the Valley of Eshkol. Now Eshkol is a valley in Numbers chapter 13. It's a story of when Moses sent his spies to find out what the promised land has. You remember the nation of Israel held in captive for slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And after Moses is called by God to deliver them and they all have miracles, they're set free. And they're headed to Egypt. Or headed out of Egypt, I should say. And they go three to four weeks to travel takes them, you know, what could have been three to four weeks takes them 40 years. What are they doing all that time in the desert? God's putting them through tests. And finally they get to the edge of the promised land and they get ready to go in. And are they going to have faith in, to trust God or are they going to and, and engage the enemies or are they going to give up? Are they going to fight for the land or not? Moses wants to know what's going on in the promised land. So he chooses 12 scouts and we know the names of them. They're in the Bible. But the only ones that are important that we remember are Caleb and Joshua. So the 12 guys go in, they scout out the land and they say, look, this is great. But man... Their anxiety and tension gives a majority port. Ten of them say, don't even think about it. That I don't we don't want to fight these guys. They're they're too big. 
Only Joshua and Caleb was like, we can do this. We can win this battle. Numbers chapter 13, 23. Then the spies came to the valley of Eshcol. The fruit was so abundant that they cut off a grape bunch, which had a cluster of grapes on it. It was so large and heavy that it took two men to carry back on a pole between them. Have you ever seen a cluster of grapes that big? Well, not me. <laughs> that thing must have been massive. This really is the land of milk and honey. Remember, they were just in the desert. And then they see this land? What a contrast. They also brought samples of pomegranates and figs. But they came back with the mixed report. Here's the report, verse 27 to 33. This was a report to Moses. It is indeed a magnificent country, rich and fertile. And here's some fruit as proof. But the people living there are powerful. Notice the but. The big but. But the people living there are powerful and they're stronger than we are. And they look like giants to us. In our eyes, we felt as small as grasshoppers next to them. Talk about an inferiority complex. When he said, we can't take these guys on. Remember, they just got out of Egypt. They still have a slave mentality. They've been enslaved for 400 years. That's a lot of generations of slavery. And they don't know how to break out of that of the things going on in their mind that are keeping them prisoner. And even though they saw how God got them free from Egypt without fighting, they saw the plagues. They even saw the Red Sea splitting in half and them walking through on, ground dry, on dry ground and all of them safe as the Egyptians chased them and they perished in the Red Sea as it returned to normal. But now facing the Valley of Eshcol, they don't know what to do. It's different than the Valley of Sinem. What is it? The valley of Eskol is the valley of fear, fear that can paralyze you. It's not based in reality. You either move ahead or you give up. They have to make this decision. Are we going to give in or are we going to go in? Are we going to go in and take what's rightfully ours or are we going to back off in shame and in doubt? See, in the valley of fear, I either move ahead or I give up. The fact is these guys had parked at Sinai for over a year. They had lived in self-exile in the desert. They've been moseying around and kept failing the test that God gave them. But here's, the, here's my question. So what is your valley that you're going through? Maybe you're going through it right now. Is it Eskel? Is it fear? Or is it Sidon? Failure. What's the place that you're afraid to move forward in? You're going to go through these valleys in life. You've known it for a long, long time that you should be moving forward in this area. God's told you to do it. You want to do it. It's the right thing to do. You just haven't done it yet. Maybe you're in the Valley of Eshcol, the Valley of Fear, where you either move forward or you give up. You have to face your fears. You have to take a risk or you will retreat in defeat. So how do you know if you're in Eshcol in that kind of valley? Well, tell me how you see what you're looking at right now. Do you see it, whatever your circumstances are, do you see it as an obstacle or do you see it as an opportunity? The big thing in your life right now, is it an obstacle or an opportunity? Two of the 12 spies saw it as an opportunity. It's the promised land. Let's do it. Let's go for it. We can do this. It's a no-brainer. God is on our side. Ten of them saw it as an obstacle and they couldn't see anything more than that. And they failed the test. And as a result, they spent their life dying in the desert and they never got to go into the promised land because they failed the test of Eskel. They failed to move forward.
Okay, I have two more valleys to go through, as well as to look at to what to remember when you're in a valley. But if I keep talking, I'm going to be here really long. And so we've run out of time. So before I get to the next pod, part two, I want you to rethink about your view and understanding of valleys. Do you realize how they're unpredictable? They just happen and you can't avoid them. And, and what kind of valley are you going through right now? Is it the valley of failure or fear? Or maybe it's something else. Ask God to show it to you, to give you wisdom. And don't be afraid of the valley because you have to remember that Jesus is God even in the valley. Because remember Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. God is God even when you're going through the valley. Jesus is with you. So don't be discouraged because we go through valleys. Take it as, you know what, God, what are you going to do through me? And next week, we'll continue with part two, with two more valleys and what to do as we get out of these valleys. All right, God bless, and I'll see you in the next pod.